Amen. I'm Pastor Jamie Kendrew. We're glad you're here this morning. Go ahead and grab a seat. I don't know about you guys, but I completely thought Brad was coming off the stage today. I love his excitement for the Lord, and when he lined up back there on the drum kit, I told Jared, we better be ready to catch him. Um, It's a good morning. It's good to be excited about our faith. It's good to be excited about what God's doing in our lives. And you've heard me say it time and time again, and I'm going to say it again right now. If you're in your faith and you're grumpy about it, you're doing it wrong. All right, this is something we're supposed to be excited about. And over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at an incredible piece of scripture known as the Great Commission. And inside the Great Commission, it really breaks down into three um, little areas that, just to, to, for, for those that like this extra little detail, it, it breaks down into three things. One's called the Great Claim. When Jesus claims to be the Son of God, he's saying, hey, all authority's mine. And then the second part of it is actually that commissioning, which a lot of our military folks, you know what a commission is, but a commission is literally when someone takes authority and power and bestows it onto you so that you go and complete the mission. And then the third part of it is when Jesus gives this great comfort when he says, and surely I'm with you. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to look at what it means for us to really uh, take that great commission that we're going to read here in a minute and to really embrace it and to really live it. And so uh, before we go there, I just want to share a story with you. This morning, there was this thunder. It was so cool. The whole building was shaking, and it was like a reminder to us uh, at the 9 o'clock service of how little we actually are and how awesome it is that we serve a God that is just majestically huge. Um, but it, it, this time of year, it's so rare to get these types of storms. I thought August, when I think of August, I always think about my beautiful brown yard that I have because I don't know about you, but I, I had try in the month of June to cut my grass as low as I can so that it'll die. Uh, and then I don't have to cut the grass the rest of the summer. Well, thanks to all this rain we've been getting, life just keeps coming. And i got to cut grass tomorrow. Anyway, but that being said, um, August is just, it reminds me of hunting season because this is the time of year where hunters renew their hunting license. And so I'm getting all geared up for that. But then there's the one season that everybody knows I'm talking about. It's the school season. You know, if you go to high school, you're starting to get that really uncomfortable feeling because you know it's only a couple of weeks away. In fact, if you're in band, you're already starting band camp. And, and if you're in football, football camp has started or it's around the corner. And, and for me, the month of August always kind of represented the beginning of, of football season. And because and when I played, we would start practicing in August, and I loved it. I can just smell the dead burnt grass from my front yard as a kid, um, you know, getting ready to play football, and, and football season was just awesome. I married into a family that had a tremendous tradition of every year at this time of year, they would make the trip down to Latrobe uh, and visit training camp where my father-in-law would just, they would sit and they would enjoy watching um, these pros train at what they do. And you know what's amazing to me? Is if you really want to have your mind blown, as you think about the amount of time a professional athlete actually spends doing what they they do versus the amount of time that they've actually practiced to do what they do. It's, it's ridiculously mind-blowing when you think about the hours and hours and hours and hours and hours that these guys practice, and, and they're doing silly drills like the karaoke drill, which I still don't even know what purpose it serves in sports. But it's in there, and, and they're diligent about uh, tuning their bodies and, and repetition, repetition, repetition. And you even think about these guys in Latrobe. I mean, they're going away for weeks and weeks to, to practice and repeat and practice and repeat, and they're so dedicated. You would think at that level they wouldn't even need to practice anymore. 
But they continue to look to the playbook, to talk to their coaches, to work and to work and to work. If you've never been down to Latrobe, it's so cool because you do. You see these athletes at the top of their game, but yet they're working at it as if it's their day one on the job, and they're, and, they're, and they're just working at it. If you're a high school athlete, you know what I'm talking about. I don't care what your sport is. You practice for hours and hours and hours for that one moment when you perform. And what's amazing is, as we think about the Great Commission, we as Christians, too, we're called to constantly be in the practice of what we do. The Bible tells us, it says, you should always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. And as believers, we're supposed to be like these athletes in the sense that that we should be studying our playbook. We should be practicing and reading and growing so that when the moment comes, and we don't know when that moment's going to be, because I still don't know why I ever did the karaoke drill as a kid. But I'm sure somewhere in my sports career, it was useful. I never understood as a pastor how I was going to use math. I still don't. (laughs) But I'm sure it's good. But the point is this. As believers, we are called by God to be growing. We are called by God to be studying. We are called by God to be like these these pro athletes who, man, they've made it. They've arrived. There is no other level. But yet they practice, 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 practice. I continued to, to go to training camp, and over the past years, I got to know a few players. And I remember several years ago, I was at training camp just hanging out watching, and I get a phone call, and it's, and it's one of the linemen calls me, and he says, hey, I need to get off, I need to get off campus. I need to get away because I just, I just need to talk. And so I remember going out to lunch with this gentleman, and that year his team actually drafted somebody who's supposed to be a superstar for his position. And I remember asking him the question, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to seek to get traded or, or are you going to simply, like, what are you looking to do? Are you going to start over this guy? And, and he sat across from me and he said, I'm going to get cut. And I could just hear this desperation in this. I mean, his entire life had led up to this moment. And now everything he had worked for and practiced at, he, he said, I'm going to get cut. And so being a little bit of a competitive guy, I said, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to go stab the guy's tires? Are you going to outperform this guy? Or are you going to tell him bad advice maybe so that you can get a leg up during camp? And, and he just looked at me and laughed. And of course, I was kidding with him. I'm not recommending that. But what he said to me next really floored me. Because he said, you know, it's interesting. He said, because what you see me do on Sunday is not the main part of my job. He said, it's a, it is the main part of my job. He says, it's not the only part of my job. He said, because in my job description, he said, my job is not simply to play on Sunday. My job is also to mentor and, and bring up the, the people behind me so that they can one day replace me if needed. And I said, well, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to get cut. And he said, and I'm going to teach this guy everything I know so that, so that he can become better at what he does. And so I'm sitting there thinking, wow, that's beautiful. Shouldn't we as Christians have that same mindset that, that no matter how much we study and no matter how much we learn, no matter how good we think we are, shouldn't we be coming alongside of those coming behind us and bringing them up and mentoring and discipling them? No matter what the cost. Two weeks later, that guy got cut. Never, never played it down again. That was it. But he went out knowing that he did his job. And so the question I have for us this morning is twofold. 
If we want to be great commission Christians, if we want to carry the message of the gospel, the first question I have to ask you is, is, are you practicing what you believe? And the second question is, is who are you taking with you? If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open to Matthew 28 right now. It's a fantastic piece of scripture. Jesus has, has been rose, risen from the dead. He's traveled around. He's, he's chatted with some folks that, uh, along the way and said, hey, here I am. I'm, I'm back to life. And the disciples are, are excited. And, and there's just this momentum going on. And, and so he meets them on a, on a hillside, a mountainside, where he told them to go. And if you have your Bibles in Matthew 28, 16, it says this. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now think about that. These are the disciples of Christ. These guys were with Jesus. They saw him after he rose from the dead. They saw him raise people from the dead. They saw him perform miracles, but yet they still doubted. They still had questions. Well, that's right, because they're like you and me, and they're human. And they're fallen, and they're broken. And this is what I want to take away from this, is we all have questions, don't we? We all sometimes have fears. And if we're really honest with ourselves, even as the most devoted of believers, we sometimes even have doubts, don't we? Well, listen to me. God is big enough to create thunder. He's big enough to handle our questions. He's big big enough to come and answer our doubts. Because even the disciples had doubts. They had questions. Continues on by saying this. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them, and he made the first statement of the Great Commission, which is this big claim that he makes. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So when Jesus says this statement, he's letting everybody, he's reminding everybody of the fact, I am the Son of God. In fact, what I'm about to tell you, I have permission to tell you because I am the Son of God, because I am God. And so he's proclaiming his authority and saying to his disciples, look, I know you have questions. I know you have doubts and I know you have fears, but I'm God. I've got this. And he continues on and he says this next statement. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Therefore, go. Think about that therefore. When you see a therefore, you always think about what came in the sentences before that therefore. And Jesus is literally saying, I am the Son of God, so I'm going to give you a command to go. But when you think about that word therefore, and you think about all of the scripture that came before that, think about what the disciples went through to get to therefore go. I want to say this, make sure we're very clear. And I want you to even say it back to me. God loves me as much now, say that, as he ever will. All right? Everybody clear on that. You cannot earn God's favor by being some type of super Christian. You cannot give a tithe of 40 bajillion dollars to earn your way into heaven. God loves you as much now as he's ever going to love you. You can't work your way into it. You can't earn special favor and special merit. And and so I want to make sure we're very clear on that. That way someone's not confused that I'm telling you you have to work your way into heaven with what we're about to say. But Jesus is giving us a command to go. He's giving us a command to go and to make disciples. So what does it take to be a disciple maker? Well, if you're going to be a disciple maker, you've got to first be a disciple. And the first part of that is you've got to be a believer. 
Because you see, when the disciples came to that moment in their life when they were going to follow Jesus, it wasn't just all of a sudden they were, they were, hey, I'm interested in football. Let's go down to Latrobe and play for this team. Can you imagine if I took my son Brandon down and threw a jersey on him and said, you're part of the team, go. And they treated him like he was, he would get obliterated. He would get destroyed. He'd get run over. Sorry, Brandon. But there's a growth process that's happening. There's a maturing process that's happening. And so what happens is that a lot of times as Christians, we think when we convert somebody to Jesus, that it's done. Oh, look, that person accepted Jesus. Yay, we're finished, we're done. I'm going to tell you what. This Franklin Graham thing we're asking you to be a part of, we're asking you to be a part of a lot of work, people. Because we're asking you to bring someone to hear the good news of Jesus. And when they accept Jesus, the work has just begun. Because it's then that we need you guys to come alongside these people, not just for their conversion moment, but for their growth moment as well. Because if we want to be disciple makers, we first have to be disciples. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 4. And we see the disciples, the disciples are the first and great example of what it means to be a disciple. In Matthew 4.18, it says this, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And then Jesus said, Come follow me. Now, can you imagine what this story would look like if Jesus walked up to these people and said, Hey, come follow me. But yet they stood there with their nets in their hand, and they didn't move. And they said, oh yeah, Jesus, we like that. We're good. You're good. We like you. We're going to follow you, but we're just going to stay right here and hold our nets. What did the disciples do? What does it say in the scriptures that they did? Because they've decided to be a part of the team, which is the first part of becoming a disciple maker. You've got to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It says this, Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And it says that the disciples at once left their nets and then followed him. So if we want to be great commission Christians, we've got to accept Jesus. But then comes something super fantastic that I think sometimes we miss. We think it's all about just simply saying, I I, I love Jesus and I really like him and and I like what he stands for. But no. Jesus didn't simply say, go make converts. He said, make disciples. In order to make disciples, you have to be a disciple, not just a convert. So the question I have for you, have you dropped everything to follow Jesus? Do you realize that when Christ calls you, he's calling all of you. He wants all of you, whether it's your workplace, whether it's your home life, he's calling you to follow in his footsteps. In a conversation with some folks, Jesus makes this statement. In Matthew 16, verse 24, he says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He does say his cross. Our cross is very different than the cross of Christ. That's not a cross I would be able to carry. But the burdens of my life are the cross that I must bear. And the burdens of your life are the cross that you must bear. And Jesus is saying, grab your cross and struggle with me. Follow me. And to be a disciple of Jesus, the disciples had to let go of the past. They had to let go of things that were holding them back. And they had to follow the footsteps of Jesus. So what does that look like for us as a church? How do we follow the footsteps of Jesus? Well, I'll tell you this right now. We're called to be imitators of Christ. 
And if we want to go deeper with God, if we want to be disciples, if we want to follow Jesus and really mean it, it means a couple of different things. We look at Jesus' life. What did he do? Well, one thing that he did was he was in communication with his Father. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, took a massive amount of his time and spent it in prayer. He didn't just simply talk the whole time either. He prayed to God, had verbal conversations with God, but then he took moments and he listened to what God had to say to him. Jesus got alone. He had a relationship with God. He pursued God. And while pursuing God and his relationship with God, the disciples pursued Jesus and began to do the same thing. They became imitators of Christ. Spending time in God, with God by praying. Spending time with God by being in the scriptures. There's a lot of good stuff in here. It's all good stuff. And I'm going to tell you this right now. This book is truth. This book is, is, is not wrong. And, and you need to be in it. And you need to be reading it. And maybe there's some things that you read in here that you don't agree with or you even have questions about. The kicker that I always get is when people try to tell me it contradicts itself. If you can show me where the Bible contradicts itself, I will walk away from the church today. It doesn't. People confuse it by reading it wrong. Because they're afraid to ask questions because they're afraid of getting in trouble for asking questions or they're afraid that God will be mad at them for asking questions. Listen to me, church. God wants you to ask questions. If you don't understand something in this book, he wants you to ask questions. That's why we as a pastoral staff are here. That's why we've got small groups and Bible studies because we're on a journey together of trying to be like Christ. And if this book is truth, the way that it says it's truth, it can handle your questions. No matter how difficult or no matter what they're about. It has withstood the test of time and this book will be around a lot longer than you and I. Amen? Anybody agree with that? That's good. So be in the scriptures. Jesus knew the scriptures. Jesus was constantly in conversation with his father. Jesus went out. You want to know how to grow deeper in God? You want to know how to get closer to God or, or how you can become a disciple? You become a disciple by serving one another. Jesus served people. He served people in love. He, and he didn't just serve the easy to serve people. He, he served the prostitutes. He served the bad guys. He served the knuckleheads. He served the awesome folks. He served everybody. He loved people. And so the question I have for you, if, if you want to grow closer to God, are you serving people? Are you serving your family? Because I'm going to tell you right now, in order to be a disciple, you need to take serious your role in your family, whether that's a father, a, a husband, an uncle, a mother, a grandparent, a great-grandparent, a godparent, whatever kind of thing you are in your family, you are something in your family, and you have a biblical responsibility to be that thing in your family for the glory of God. And you need to take that seriously. How are you in your place of work? Are you serving the people you work with? Or are you simply having dreams about accidentally bumping them down a flight of steps? <laughs> your neighbors. Are you a good neighbor? Are you the kind of neighbor to your neighbors that you want your neighbor to be to you? Because I'm going to tell you something. Something that terrifies me in America is we're losing our neighborhoods. We need communities to be a part of. And as believers of Christ, we need to be involved and engaged in our communities. Are you engaged in your community? Can the young man down the street without a dad come to you and say, can you teach me to throw a baseball? There's almost 
nothing spiritually sounding about that, but I'm going to tell you right now, you have the potential to be Jesus to that young man by spending time with him. Like Jesus said, let the children come. Are you following Jesus? Are you serving others? Are you serving your family? Are you serving your church, for crying out loud? Is this simply a place where you come to get fed? Because if it is, that's the wrong mindset. You heard me correct. This is a place where we come to worship God. This band is not up here to entertain you. They're here to sing with you as we point north to God. I'm not here to give you some kind of good sermon so you feel good about yourself. I'm here to help you grow as I help myself grow into understanding and loving God even more by understanding what he has done for us. This is making sense, church. Are you being a disciple? Next few weeks, we're going to be talking about how the disciples, they, yeah, they dropped their nets and they followed Jesus. That's, that's the important first step. The second little part in that is, is they were discipled by Jesus. They were imitators of God. And I want to say this to you. What I'm saying to you is not simply go run and hide in your Bible studies. I'm not telling you to go run and hide in your church and say, well, I'm being discipled right now. Because the reality of it is, if we're being discipled, then in our discipleship, we are going to be serving and doing for God. Not because it earns a special favor, but because we're being obedient to the command that he gave us when he left this place. And he said, go make disciples of all nations. All nations. So as you're being discipled, as you're growing in your faith, listen to me, you do not need a seminary degree to tell someone about the love of Jesus. If you've made the statement, I'm just not ready to share my faith yet, shame on you. Because if you know enough to cling to Jesus and know that he has set you free from your sin, you are far more superior of an evangelist than any of these folks on this stage. By knowing Jesus and proclaiming his resurrection, you have what you need to know because Jesus, because God will do it through you. It is not you who does anything. Amen? So this week, I want you to pray for God to put somebody in your life to disciple. I want you to pray for God to give you somebody to maybe disciple you. Someone maybe you can learn under, someone you can pray with, that you can get together with. And then I want you to pray for someone, for God to put someone on your heart to to bring to the Festival of the Hopes, for for God to put someone on your heart to minister to. We, We serve a great God, and we're very blessed to be able to do this. Thank you, church. Let's pray. Lord God, we just uh, thank you for the words and the great commission of go. We sing songs that we're giving it all away, and, and I pray, God, that we are. You, you clearly told us all throughout Scripture, and especially with your disciples, leave it behind. Stop worrying about these things that, that hold you back, and I want you to follow me, and I want you to serve me, just as the disciples went, and they healed people, and they, they ministered to the sick. They were the hands and feet of God, and And that commission that was given to them is passed on to us today. We don't serve you, God, because it's trying to earn something, but we serve you because we get to, because it's a way for us to say that we love you. So let us not just simply rest knowing that we have our ticket to heaven. It's a good thing, and I don't want to downplay that either. And we thank you for our salvation. But move us to share the good news of Jesus 
with those around us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.